Good morning and welcome to OSA's podcast series. I'm your host, Margot G, and in this podcast we get to explore topical economic issues and see how they affect our lives here in South Africa. Today, our experienced and knowledgeable person in the field is Isaiah Mklange, the Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes. Welcome, Isaiah. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me for this podcast series, Magu, and uh, glad to, to come and contribute some thoughts. Yes, it's our pleasure. This has been a very interesting week for South Africa, as some much-anticipated numbers have come out. Statistics South Africa published the quarterly labor force survey earlier this week, and in there, they told us that 2.2 million people have lost their jobs. Now, with this whole COVID lockdown, we expected a significant decrease in employment, and specifically with industries maybe to do with import and export because our borders were shut down and tourism. Which industries were actually affected the most? Thanks for, for that question. I think perhaps first, let's just provide some context on what the quarterly labor force survey is. Okay. This is a household-based survey, which means Statistics of Africa normally send field agents out to households to actually ask them about their employment uh, status. So that is how it usually uh, co collects this data. But because of COVID-19 uh, restrictions on movement, it was quite difficult for status say to send field agents. So it changed or it modified the methodology through which it collects this data to okay. computer-assisted interviews, which means uh, phone calls were done with the assistance of computer to automate and ask people uh, uh, questions uh, with regard to their employment status. But because of those challenges and the change in methodology, naturally there would be some uh, uh, data breakage in terms of uh, the continuity compared to the previous quarter, but there will also be some adjustment that will be necessary to actually uh, you know, uh, make the, the, the numbers comparable on a quarter to quarter basis. But okay. the methodology that SSA used is a globally consistent methodology that is widely used globally. So there's nothing uh, untoward to the change in methodology. All countries have been using a similar methodology because of the impact of COVID-19. Okay. Now, coming back to, to the question that you asked in terms of the sectors that we mm. uh, impacted the most, obviously at an aggregate level, 2.2 million people lost jobs, which was expected in terms of the job losses. But what was not expected was the magnitude of how, much, how many people were going to lose jobs. For instance, we had expected about 1.7 million jobs to be lost uh, in total for the whole year. And yes. this finished on the fact that if we look back in 2009 recession, uh, just about a million jobs were lost uh, because of the contraction of about 1.5% in real economic growth. Wow. You fast forward to 2020, expectations for uh, the economy is a deeper contraction, multiple times contraction compared to what we had in 2009, which means our expectations for job losses it was going to be much more higher than what was uh, what we experienced in 2009. That's why we had expected about 1.7 million jobs. But mm -hmm. now, as SSA told us, 
2.2 million jobs were lost only in the second quarter, which means it's a far bigger number than what we expected for the whole year, which was experienced in, in one quarter. From a sectoral point of view, we saw government service, government and personal services losing about 321,000 jobs, finance, insurance, and real estate losing about 229,000 jobs, construction losing about 202,000 jobs, and manufacturing was another big sector that lost about 185,000 jobs. I think that's where the big concentration of the job losses took place, and it is largely in the informal sector, which as a, as a whole lost about 1.2 million jobs as compared to about 642,000 jobs which were lost on the informal sector. So these numbers were, were largely expected, but the magnitude were a little bit much bigger than, than what we were expecting. Perhaps reflecting how, how bad the, the impact of the lockdown uh, was, particularly for the service sector, which requires conduct in order to, 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 to trade and that, that yes. conduct was restricted because of the lockdown and the restrictions on, on, on movement. Yes, and as expected also with, you know, companies that work a lot with internet were probably a lot more resilient. So the services engaging with people, um, that would have been much harder. But I like, I like that you told us about the different methodology because this might help explain when I was looking at some of the numbers in my mind, people are either employed or unemployed. And there were 2.2 million people that were employed and are now unemployed, yet the number of unemployed people increased by 2.8 million. So that, that might explain some of that. Is there anything else to explain that difference? Yeah, I think if you, if you look in terms of uh, how uh, 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 the labor force is defined, for instance, you have to be actively looking for a job for you to be in the labor force. Um, but if you look in the second quarter, about 5 million people that were restricted in terms of their movements were not looking for jobs. Mm -hmm. So they, they fell out of the labor force into the economically inactive. That's paid definition. But also, which, 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 which means part of that 2.8 million people that were unemployed or, or the increase in people that were unemployed by 2.8 million people uh, includes uh, some of the, the, the people that, that, that come from that uh, uh, declining labor force, but also from, the, from those that were discouraged. So it, okay. it, off, it offsets um, partly the number of people that would have left the labor force into the economically active, but we also have some people that would have been in the economically active that would have uh, moved to, to, to the unemployed numbers because they started looking for jobs. Uh, but by and large, I think these are definitional issues uh, that, yes. that, uh, that makes these numbers to, to look as if they don't make sense, but they do, they do make a, a lot of sense. Yes. And there is one number, though, which I found very interesting. And when I first saw it, <laughs> I felt it did not make sense. So given the gloomy outlook with our growth, our, our poor growth during the lockdown, we expected our unemployment rate to increase from quarter one. Now in quarter one, it was 30.1%, yet our actual unemployment rate was announced to be 23.3%, so it went down. This is contrary to any of the forecasts, so Bloomberg and IMF expected it to be as much as 35%. Why is there this difference, and, and which one is more accurate? 
I think it was a big surprise to many, uh, but the unemployment rates declined to 23.3% from 30.1% uh, uh, in the first quarter. But if you look at what SSA has reported or the explanation in their report, which is around the definition of what, how an unemployment rate is, is, is computed, one understands and it makes a lot of sense to, to say, okay, the unemployment rate declines to 23.3%. But by no means does it mean that the situation is better in the labor market. Because ordinarily, you associate a decline in unemployment rate with an increase in employment, but that's not the case because we know Status A told us 2.2 million people lost jobs. So there was no increase in employment. What, what is the, uh, uh, the situation then that led to a decline in unemployment rate? It, is, it has to do with how Status A classified the labor market and who is economically active. Five million people moved from the labor market or the labor force into the economically active simply because they were not looking for jobs. And you have to be looking for a job actively for, for, for you to be part of the labor force. But these people were not looking for jobs, not because they were not available. It is because of regulation around the uh, restrictions in movement to try and limit the spread of COVID. That's why they were sitting, sitting at home and not looking for jobs. But from a numbers point of view, State SA does not consider the reason why you are not looking for a job. It simply says, for whatever reason that you are not looking for a job, if you are not, if you're just sitting at home and you are not actively looking for a job, therefore you are not part of the labor force. And that moved 5 million people into the economically inactive population. So now, as you know, the unemployment rate is the number of people that are unemployed divided by the, by the labor force. So we have reduced that denominator, which is the labor force, and which means the total unemployment rate has also, has also declined. But what would have been the unemployment rate had we, or if we are a pragmatic and say, these people were available to work, but because of regulation, they could not go out and work. But so technically, they should be a part of the labor force. The unemployment rate would be closer to 38% than the 23.3%. But by no means am I saying that the 23.3% is an inaccurate or wrong number. It is an accurate number following the statistical definition uh, that is used globally, that states say also applied in the in their computation of the unemployment rate. Okay, that is very interesting. So I think from a policy perspective, then it in terms of having a holistic view, using a number like 38% is probably more realistic in terms of what is happening on the ground, which then is slightly higher than even what the IMF or Bloomberg predicted. And um, it's, it's fascinating how the nuances can actually make such a difference. But now if we look at this going forward, we have had, or well, before we go forward, if we look at the trend we've had, we have had a recession for the past few years, and obviously COVID has <laughs> added to this. And we also have had a significant outflow of skilled labor. 
So how much of this is expected to bounce back in the near future? And what do you think the future holds looking at our unemployment figures? I think as it stands, my view would be that the, the future really is not that, uh, uh, I'm not overly optimistic in terms of regaining uh, the jobs that have been lost. It took, for instance, if you consider from the financial jobs that were lost in the financial crisis, it took many years to regain those jobs. Mm. But now if you check the economic outlook, expectations, you can take consensus, so you can take the reserve bank's expectations for this year's contraction, minus 8%, and improvements next year, 3.9%. Let's say we level off at some 2% economic growth for the remainder of the decade. In terms of the level of economic activity, it will still take us a minimum of four years before we can regain back to the level of the economy that we had in 2019. And usually, the employment growth normally lags GDP growth, which means the economy recovers much faster compared to, to labor markets. And as a result, if we say, or if, if, if you believe uh, that, that the, our expectations of a minimum of four years to retain the 2019 levels, uh, are plausible, it would imply that to regain the number of jobs that have been lost in Q2 alone, it is going to take quite some time, given how slow the economy uh, is going, is, is going to, 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 to recover from where we are. But there will be jobs that will be created in sectors that are aligned to the development of tech, but also and that are aligned to uh, new industries that may be formed because some of the industries that have been impacted are likely not to return back. They are going to, to, to die, but we are going to see new industries that are going to, to, to emerge and that they will create jobs. So there will be some shifts in where jobs are created and, uh, compared to, to what we have experienced before, but by no means will those jobs that are going to be created going to offset completely over a short space of time the jobs mm -hmm. that have been lost. Wow, so it's definitely a time for us all to adapt and um, do what we can. And I think it's definitely a, a time for us all to reflect also in terms of you know, the, best, the best way forward. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Perhaps if I can add, mm. this gen brings the agency of what needs to be done in order to, to generate jobs. And you would know globally, the more, one of the most important uh, policy directions is to say, how do we create jobs in the economy? Because ultimately, when you have a significant number of people losing jobs, unemployment rising, poverty levels rising, uh, dependency ratios also rising, it's a fatal ground for social unrest. That's why a lot of countries are thinking so hard to say, how do we improve the economy so that we generate jobs? But that is also why we have seen a lot of countries that are putting together uh, stimulus packages that supports households directly, essentially cash transfers to households to try and support uh, those households that, that have lost jobs, which have implications for the fiscals because that support comes directly from the fiscals which is why uh, we are also talking about uh, or discussions of uh, 
an income, income support system or income grant or basic income grant that is, that is being talked about in SA and much so in other countries has become much more prevalent in economic policy debates. But it also means we are unlikely to see a quick recovery or a quick consolidation from the fiscal point of view because there is still a need to continuously support those that have lost jobs. So it just calls for agency in how uh, policies are going to be implemented, particularly those that are labor intensive uh, in terms of the industries. Uh, that's what, we, that's what we, we expect to be done, but it remains to be seen uh, how the labor market itself is going to be improved in terms of making it much more conducive for the private sector to, to hire and, and create new jobs. Yes, and I think sustainability is key here, as long as we can support people in the long run going forward, because it is going to be a long journey. But thank you, Zaya. Is there anything else you would like to say for our listeners? I think uh, just as a last point from, from myself, it is to say we are still in a difficult uh, uh, conditions economically. Things are likely to get worse before they improve from where we are. As we know, a number of corporates are still going through liquidation uh, processes. Uh, the legal process normally takes long. And from the internal data that we have access to, for instance, Alexander Forbes dealing with pension funds, where a lot of corporates are telling us they're experiencing difficulties uh, in terms of their cash flows. And they are asking us, can we reduce contributions uh, in, in terms of pension funds, or can we suspend for some time it just tells us that more pain is coming before we can actually see an improvement. So we would expect the unemployment rate to rise, but also with the normalization of the labor force that is going to take place in Q3, because that 5 million people that was not available to look for jobs because of the uh, regulations uh, will, will come back to the, to, to, the labor, to the labor force, which means that definitional issues is going to be resolved. We are likely to see an increase quite significant in the unemployment rate in, in Q3. So I would just say people should continue to remain prudent in how they spend their money because uncertainty with, with regards to job prospects will remain. But that uncertainty also impacts on general household consumption, even for those that continue to have jobs and incomes because as far as consumers are uncertain, they are unlikely to spend. And we see this globally, where savings as a percentage of disposable income have increased across many countries. We have also seen the level of deposits in, in South Africa also increase quite significantly, which means people are holding on to their cash and that also become a drag on economic growth going forward. So things are going to, 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 to worsen a bit before they improve. Um, uh, which, which is not positive for the economy. But once we have, for instance, a vaccine to COVID-19, we may see a sharp rebound in spending, which may lead to a faster economic growth. Definitely. Small steps. I think you have summarized it very well. Uh, thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you. Thank and you very much. For yeah. Me. It's only been a pleasure. And also thank you to our listeners. And remember for any updates regarding any podcasts or our website in general, keep in touch with our social media platforms. Thank you. Till next time.